Are you ever curious what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood? You watch a Netflix show or a Marvel movie and you wonder, why was that person in it? Why did this movie get made? I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, on the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, we're going to bring you short, digestible episodes featuring some of the smartest people I know breaking down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Follow The Town now and listen on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Folks, basketball is very good. Welcome to Upside High. My name is Jay Kyle Mann. This is a show where we talk about the youth movement in basketball, rookies, grassroots, everything in between. I'm joined by one of the brightest minds in the sport, Mr. Jonathan Charks. John, how you doing, buddy? I tried to push back on that, but I guess you're going to stick with it, so we'll let it slide. So humble. Just crushingly humble. Well, I, I got to pretend, Kyle. Like the, you've, It's got to be the fake humility Internally, oh, right. I have my own thoughts, but I'm going to at least pretend for the people, you know. Are you one of those people that can't take a compliment, or are you pretty good at taking compliments? What's the read there? I would say I'm pretty good at it. I believe most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have this thing when I would play music where somebody overheard me one time do this. It's like I just want, wouldn't believe people. It's like a horrible quality. I don't know if anyone out there has it. Take my advice here. Like somebody said something nice to me and I was just like, bleh, 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 just came back. Now that I can definitely believe about you for sure. Like that sounds about right. You put people in a horrible position when you do that. So I'd say, I mean, it was my wife overheard that and was like, stop doing that. Just say thank you. It was definitely your wife. That's something your, your wife would say. So this past weekend, there were a few good games. I mean, St. Peter's taking down Purdue. Pretty wild. Did you get to check that one out or which, which games were you most dialed in on this weekend? Uh, the Sweet 16 ones, uh, the Elite Eight stuff got kind of wound down for me um for you for st peter's was it kind of like consolation that they kept moving after kentucky had this great run i was telling chris sutton aka hornet leg our producer uh he was saying he was thinking about me asking me if if i felt any better 
uh, about it. Um, not really, no, <laughs> because Kentucky should have won. They still should have won. I mean, I it, I did circle back to the point where I was. I had a moment where I was like, all right, well, I'll root for Murray State here, even though Murray State is a, a rival of my alma mater, Moorhead State. No, I mean, I don't feel that. I don't feel any better about it because Kentucky's in just like total flux yeah. right now, as we talked about. But it was fun to watch them take down Purdue. I mean, what what was it about Purdue and Kentucky you think that made them both so vulnerable? I think it's Tolstoy said this. He said, "All happy families are the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way." Kind of thing. I would say, like Ooh. Purdue and Kentucky, it's different for each of them. And we'll, I can get back around into this. I want to talk about Arizona because I think what happened to Arizona is a perfect example of what happens in the tournament, what gets missed in the tournament. I watched a ton of Arizona this year. We kind of talked about before how I had wagered some money and I was kind of invested in their success. So they lost to Houston in the Sweet 16. I'll start here. If you look at the box score of this game, you'll see that Tubelis, their starting power forward, and Krissa, their starting point guard, Combined to go one for 15 with six turnovers and five personal fouls. And the initial, easy initial thing is wow, two of their best players just played, had an off shooting night and just played terribly. I guess this kind of thing happens in March. And like that's true, but there's way more going on there. And it's so easy to miss this stuff because so many games happen in March, right? Then you're like, oh, that Duke won that night and Gonzaga lost. And oh, Arizona lost. I guess they were out coached. I don't really remember. And you just kind of forget. But it wasn't just random. Those two guys didn't just have bad games. So here's what happened in that game. In that game, Kelvin Sampson and his coaches at U of H, they said, Arizona's got three NBA players, Matherin, Coloco, Terry. We don't want them to beat us. We're going to move this game towards Tabellus and Krissa. And what they did, they like played off those guys. They forced the ball into their hands. And they said, if those guys beat us, they beat us. And then conversely on defense, they attacked them constantly. They were like, okay, if Tabellus is guarding this guy, the other guy is going to screen. His man's coming off. We're putting Tabellus on a spot. He's going to have to commit to someone. And it was play after play after play of this. And like they said, we're going to make these two guys the fulcrum of this game. And that's how a team with probably zero NBA players beats a team with three NBA players. And to bring it around, what's important about this is the Arizona coaches didn't recognize this, did not make an adjustment. Because the Arizona coaches, I think their philosophy was, we're the number one seed in the tournament. We're 33-3. and What we've done has worked all season. We do what we do. And that should be enough. If we play the best version of Arizona basketball, nobody can beat us. And the problem with that thought is, is like they just ran their stuff. They ran their sets. And because of the way Houston was guarding them, the ball kept ending up in their worst players' hands. And for me, like towards the end of the game, Arizona's like kind of hanging around and they go smaller. They take Tabellus out. And at six minutes left in, their coach brings Tabellus back in. After he's been playing horribly the whole game, I just turned it off. I said, okay, they're just not, like, they're not making adjustments to what's happening. They're not, and that's what it comes down to is, like, Kelvin Sampson, he's able, he's like, I have a very experienced, versatile team. I can find the weak spot in the opposing team and go at it. 
you have to be able to adjust to that. The tournament's not about being the best version of yourself. It's about, as you kind of said the other day, malleability and flexibility. You have to be able to adjust your game, respond quickly. These are not seven game series. You have to pre-adjust. And if you don't pre-adjust, and by pre-adjust, what that means is like before the game, you and your coach have to say, what are they going to do to us? How do we self-scout? And if they do that to us, here's how we're going to counter. Arizona never self-scouted, never adjusted. And to bring it all the way back around, Arizona's coach, Tommy Lloyd, was at Gonzaga for like 20 years. He's like Mark Few's right-hand man. He was the one who spearheaded international recruiting. He was the one who kind of helped really put that program on the map. And Few is the same way. Few is a we-run-our-stuff coach. The problem is if you're a we-run-our-stuff coach, eventually in the tournament, it's like, wow, I won 33 games. I was the number one team in the country. I'm just going to run my stuff. But it only means so much in the tournament because in the tournament, you're going to run into the very, very, very best teams, teams who are very, very well coached, who have the versatility to attack you, and you have to adjust. And if you don't, these things keep happening to you over and over again. And then, then at some point, someone's like, man, they get outcoached a lot. And like outcoach is one of those things that just kind of floats out there sometimes. Uh, they were outcoached. And what it usually comes down to is when someone says a team was outcoached, what they're really just probably saying is you had more talent than your team when you still lost. There's a million ways you can be outcoached, but I think the most common way is what happened in this game. And this game to me is a perfect example of how more talented teams the tournament lose. Do you think that Arizona for sure had more talent is do you think this was a case of that i'm not i don't know that they did i mean if they had the hot they maybe had more upside talent i mean with terry and with uh and with matherin i thought matherin had some moments in this game where i was like damn i like his dna as a player do you think for sure arizona is more talented or did they just kind of have a size advantage that they stuck with thinking it would work i mean i think so one like who are the nba players on houston none for sure i mean you never know we have these conversations every year and somebody I was curious to ask you, too. I mean, Kelvin Sampson has had a career. He honestly might be like at a blue blood high major by now. Well, he should have been. We know what happened to Kelvin Sampson. Yeah, yeah. he was at a blue blood high major. Sorry. Shout out Matt Dollinger. <laughs> Sorry, Dollinger. I guess that was a savage one. That was really savage. <laughs> Man, if he ever got a chance. <laughs> and what he went down for was so ridiculous, too, text messages. But I guess to go back, like, like I think in what Arizona should have done they should have recognized that. And like pre-adjustments can happen in the regular season. Arizona should have recognized Chris is a weakness, Tabellus is a weakness. We've got to make sure Kier plays more. Me personally, I would have played Pella, Larson, and Kier a lot more. Chris is gone, Tabellus gone. Maybe like Ballo, five minutes behind Coloco, six, seven-man rotation. Ballo looked totally overmatched in this game. He was pretty bad too. Like like Villanova had a seven-man rotation to the Final Four. They got the six because the guy got hurt. Yeah. When it comes down to it, you got to go with the guys you can trust. At the end of the day, you want your best players to win or lose the game for you. And if your best players play bad and you lose, then you just say we lost. What you don't want to have happen is you're not your best players to decide the game. The other thing that's important about this is that, yes, there's a ton of randomness in March. Things happen. This wasn't random, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not only was this not random, but that only makes controlling what you can control more important. Because, like, let's say you have the perfect team and you randomly lose because random stuff happens. Well, that means the years where you didn't and you didn't control what you could control are even more damaging because you, like... You want to maximize what you can control because there's parts of it you can't control. So if you're not maximizing the parts you can control 
and there's luck involved, now you're never going to win. Yeah. And it seems like Houston overall, you were talking about like making lineup adjustments. It just seemed like they dictated the pace of the game. Kelvin Sampson teams historically are known for defending their asses off. I mean, their activity and their energy was off the charts. The last three years, they've been Final Four, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, the last three tournaments. Only one NBA player, Quentin Grimes. Like, that's not random either. Like, that's because Kelvin Sampson's coaching his butt off. Yeah, and I was noticing here that Houston just hammered them in isolation throughout the game. They generated a lot more points, and you could see that Arizona was just trying to run their, like, back-cut offense, and just they weren't getting anything out of it. Yes! They kept doing their back-cuts like, bro, we're well-coached. We know what you're doing. It's not going to work. Yeah, Houston was like pressuring the hell out of the entry passes. And I was laughing. We were talking about broadcasters. I've been really impressed with Jim Jackson. I don't know if you noticed him at all on the broadcast, but he's been really good. I've noticed him in other games too. He wasn't my favorite player, I guess is why I'm saying that. I've just enjoyed his commentary. But he at one point was so disgusted with Arizona's passing that he wasn't even doing like the broadcaster thing like, oh, bad pass. He like in his normal social voice just went, no. Oh, like you could tell he was so disgusted. But you're right, man. Tubelis was horrible. I really feel bad for Kirk Krishna. Um, I feel like Arizona fans are going to run him off. I don't feel bad for Kirk Krishna. <laughs> you hammered. You've killed him lately. You said you like Avery uh, Johnson a lot, though. I just enjoy his voice. The sound of his voice is very, it's just interesting. I don't really listen to the announcers that much. It's kind of background noise. So like just the way his intonations is just very pleasing yeah. to me. Overall, who do you think the favorite is now? I think the obvious answer. I mean, it's going to have to be Duke, right? Like, Kind of how do you feel how things are going to go from here? How do you feel about Duke and Duke UNC and just how Duke's playing? Duke, they absorbed a punch. You know, Texas Tech and Houston both, like crazy, like ball pressure. They fly around. Their activities insane. They guard together. I didn't think Arkansas had a chance against Duke. I, I just didn't see that happening. But, you know, a lot of the the draft conversations are that come out of this weekend, Chet obviously got, I thought, got hosed against Arkansas, even though Arkansas outplayed Gonzaga, as we talked about. But Duke has to be the favorite. And this game against UNC, um, UNC's playing pretty well. I mean, their guards have been playing extremely well uh, during March. They came into this game and looked like they were just like, we're just going to crush St. Peter's soul. They had the benefit, I think, of more tape, too, to kind of, they weren't going to be surprised. A little bit of element of surprise, I guess, when you're watching a team like St. Peter's because they don't play big teams like this. Not that they're going to change what they do a tremendous amount. But this game for Duke and UNC fans is going to be hilarious. So I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of the other times like major rivals have met. I mean, it's your boys. That's that's the obvious yeah. one. Louisville, Kentucky, 10 years ago yeah. in the Final Four. That was one of the worst nights of my life. <laughs> like Stress-wise, the night my son was born, obviously my wife was under more stress than me in that one, and then uh, Kentucky-Louisville in the Final Four. <laughs> I mean, I get it because like, I, I put myself in my shoe. It's like Texas OU football, and those games are so stressful, and Texas usually sucks, and there's literally nothing to play for. And you're still super stressed out. Have you guys ever met in the playoff, though? No. No. So that's what makes it like, I can't even imagine all of that going into it. Not only meeting in the playoffs, but the historic implications for this game. Like, if UNC could beat Coach Gay again, I don't want to say it ends the rivalry. That's obviously the rivalry go on forever. But, like, that's one, like, oh, my God. That would be the biggest one ever. If they won a title, it would be the biggest one ever. And obviously, for Duke, it's the same thing, to beat UNC on the way to a title. The stakes are just so high. I just hope we get a good game because college basketball, as we've been talking about, needs a great game. If we could get like Gonzaga, UCLA in this game, 
with the amount of eyeballs going to be on this game would just be amazing. That's all, that's all I'm hoping for now. My worry is I hope that the officials, I hope that like the officiating doesn't have a big impact because throughout this tournament it has had a big impact and it's been really frustrating. But uh, yeah, the thing about this game and the the thing about like that UK UL game in 2012 was just that one team was in the position to spoil, and I think that was what was so stressful. That game was just utterly joyless until the very end because they just kept hanging around, and UL fans wanted to happen because they wanted to spoil it. But I honestly feel like UNC plays them well. It's a good matchup. I'm really really excited to watch that one so uh before we move on though uh we're gonna talk about a variety of things i don't know that i could (laughs) nail it down exactly but before we do that we're gonna take a break this episode is supported by state farm man i remember when i first got into a car accident it was pure frustration because i did not have state farm and now that i do have state farm it is an exclamation of pure joy But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Okay, so like Kyle talked about, uh, it's a little different right now, the end of this pod. This will actually be the last Upside High pod for the indefinite future. It's uh, really not what I, me or Kyle wanted, and it's just, it's just unfortunate. So what happened was last week, um, I went to get scanned for my uh, cancer. I go pretty regularly. And what they found out was the latest chemo I had wasn't working. So that means the first two chemos that I've had for my kind of cancer have not been effective and they've not been able to put me into remission. And what really sucks is that those two chemos that I've had now, they were by far my best chance of going into remission where I say, okay, you don't have any cancer. We can't find it. We know it'll probably come back, but for now you're in remission and you're cancer free for the time being. When that was on the table, that scenario as a possible, if not likely, but at least possible medical outcome, I had kind of have my feet in two worlds where I was like, if I can get into remission for a year or two or multiple years, and then maybe medicine changes, and then who knows what could happen. That was like one possibility. 
but now that door has kind of been shut. And so what that means for me is uh, there's still more chemos I can try, but the chemos I'm going to try now, they're going to be ones that are more, let's just as best we can try to hold back the cancer and then try experimental stuff to see. Uh, maybe this would work. Maybe it won't. And then basically it's more just like you're just trying Hail Marys at this point. And so what, what that really means for me right now is just um, I don't know how much time I have left. And I just there are things I want to get done at the time I have. And so I just can't do I think I'm just going to I'll be just a fan for for a while now. I, my hope, I really hope that like next year I can come back and say, hey, man, a miracle happened. I'm just here to talk basketball. But for now, I, there's just stuff I want to do that I need to make sure it gets done. I think for me, the only, yeah, I, I think like the playoffs is Kyle, as you know, they're so, they're so time consuming. It's all, it's your whole, it becomes your life for a couple of weeks just because there's so many games. There's too much stuff to keep track of. The only thing I really think I'll probably be doing is going to the Mavs games. So I might, I might come back on here to talk about the Mavs or maybe go on Bill's pod or something. But that's probably the only basketball I'll be doing for the time being. So on a on a day to day basis, I mean, what's your um, what's your energy lo- level like right now? What do you what are you doing? Like, I know you were playing basketball there for a little while. I assume it's a case of you're you're going to be focusing on, you know, hanging out with Jackson, hanging out with Melissa, things like that. What's what's your energy level like right now? Well, it's it's two things. I mean, yeah, that's the main one, and then. There's a lot of like writing I want to get done about this experience writing for Jackson and just kind of like I've, I did a couple pieces before um, for the ringer. But the other part that's like really scary is the energy level changes really fast. Yeah. Are these going to be more taxing you expect? I don't know. But here's what's weird about it is that like I've been so I had to stop chemo to get scanned. So I've only been off chemo a couple weeks now and I can already feel it ramping up like my tumors like it. Just the progression the last week and a half has been like massive. You said you can physically feel it in your... Yeah. Yeah. It's literally a pain. And I always tell people like, I, the expression pain in your butt, I, I get it now because I have a massive pain in my butt. And let me tell you, it's a pain in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where you initially felt the... That was your your initial thing that something was weird, right? Yeah. So that that was for me at the least. I, I kind of have an early warning system. So I, I, I knew the scans would be bad last week just because I'd already started to feel it. So I kind of knew. And it kind of tells me in a lot of ways, like I can feel the pain in the butt getting bigger. And so that means as things are, are progressing. So it's almost like every day is a new day. And I don't know. And I'm starting a new chemo by the end of this week. And hopefully that will help. But I don't know. I saw on uh, Twitter where you were asking people for book recommendations. What kind of headspace are you trying to get yourself into when you because I mean, cancer is unfortunately common, but it's like to tackle it mentally most of us can't imagine it was that where your mind's headspace was when you were asking for book recommendations where are you with that honestly i was like i live next door to a, a barnes and noble i live like down the street so it, w- it actually was just like a spur yeah, of the moment I f- I, did i read too much no i mean because like i feel like i was gonna go <laughs> then i'm like well i do have this twitter account like i want to hear the books that really matter to people you don't fire off a lot of jokes yeah it literally it's like practically like what books did y'all like it's just like for me reading has always been a huge part of my life i've always loved reading I find a lot of peace in it. And it's like, well, I don't know how many books more I'm going to be able to read. So it's like, let me make sure the books I read are good ones, right? It's like one thing I've learned in life. It's funny, man. It's like 
life is a referral business. I, I, that's something I'm starting to believe. Like, so I get an example of that. So I was talking to someone about, okay, literary agents reaching out to me about me trying to do a book about this experience. And I'm asking a guy on the publishing list. You have had those conversations? Yeah. And so I was asking a guy on the publishing side about like, how do I find a good literary agent? And he tells me, he goes, the best way you can do it is to ask people you know who've written books and to ask what they, who's agent they've used and if they've liked them. Because experience is the best teacher. If you don't have experience in it, ask someone who has, right? It's like, where do you get jobs? Most often than not, because someone you know, right? Shoot, where do we both meet our wives? Who people we knew, right? It's, that's just how life works. Yeah. Life's a referral business. Where did you meet your wife? I don't think oh, I've shoot. ever asked uh, you, Melissa. That. Actually, we both went to church together. I'll t it's a funny story. Um, and this is kind of like the how the hand of God has been on my life in a lot of ways, in really practical ways. I became a Christian, but after I became a Christian, my life was still pretty chaotic in terms of my lifestyle, the choices I was making. And I was not really in a position where I could date realistically. Like not to, not to date to have like a strong marriage. So it took me a couple years to kind of get my life together. And I remember praying to God one day, being like, I'd love to date, I'd love to get married, I'd love to have a wife. And like, should I go online? What's the best way to do this? You've always wanted that, you said. But I also knew like my life, I need to get my life together first. You know, you, you need to take care of yourself or you can extend out. And so I remember praying to God one day. I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. What's the next step? And I was like, should I go online, do all these, you know, whatevers? And I, I felt like I was said, wait till this date. And it was like the date of a community service project my church was doing. And literally I was like, that date. Wait till that date, okay? So I do the community service project. In the back of my mind, obviously, I'm thinking, well, uh, you know, who's here at this project with me? And is it her? And is it her? <laughs> it was just mostly my married friends. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. I guess maybe I miss, you know, because prayer is hard sometimes. If I misheard that, maybe I got it wrong. And then, like, literally, I'm about to go play tennis with the friends after. And then someone texts me, hey, we're meeting up with some people after the project just to hang out. You should come hang out. I was like, Okay, do that. So we go to a bar. It's like, a, it's like two in the afternoon. It's one of those outdoor bar patio setups. Just hanging out, having a good time. And then my wife comes to the bar looking like now I know that. Melissa comes. And then all I hear is her telling the story about how she'd just been in New York City with her family. And immediately I write her off. Girl's rich, stuck up. I got no time for this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just go about my business. And then later on, like me and a friend, we start playing. There's a sand volleyball courts. And me and then two friends, a guy and a girl, who at the time weren't dating, we're playing sand volleyball. Melissa comes over to start playing sand volleyball with us. And then she's my partner. And we start playing. Oh, baby. Back and forth. <laughs> And then that, that's where it all started. It was just like that. Yeah, that, that's where it all started. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Your wife is a sweet, nice person. I like her a lot. The, the one time I got to hang out with you guys in Vegas when we were picking out at, uh, at Best Friend. And then what it was called? Best Friend? Best Friend. That's a great establishment if you're ever in Las Vegas. Yes, I do recommend sure. that one. I was curious to ask you about your career because you, you and I had... I, we said this like when you were on chemo, was that a year ago? It feels like a long time ago and we had those conversations. Yeah, I started last year, yeah. We had those conversations just about our careers and how there had been some parallels and uh, you said some things that I thought were really interesting because we've both been pretty fortunate, right? I mean, like we've, we both love basketball. I People ask me like how things are going and everything and I'm like, I'd be a total asshole to complain about my life. We've been very fortunate, I guess is my point. But you, you know, I... 
I think we both have people. I used to email you when I wasn't working in basketball, and they, people want to talk about their careers. It doesn't even apply necessarily to writing, but it's across the board. Talk about like your career and the ups and downs, and like I, it seems like you learned some pretty valuable lessons in those ups and downs. I mean, you know what I'm referring to specifically, but what would you tell young writers, especially like based on what you've gone through? Okay, um, there's a million things. Maybe I'll write something about it at some point. Uh, number one, I think what me and you really kind of related on is we both had to like grind it out and like see how like real life works. Like we didn't always work in media. I think that was something we both bonded over it was like when you work in media, if you go right from college to media and I, I did do that at first. And I was a terrible employee. I got fired like two or three times. <laughs> Why'd you get fired though? You keep describing this version of you because everybody knows John Sharks is this like sweet, nice dude. You always describe this other life you had of where you were like, I had to clean my life up. I picture John waking up next to a bottle of Jack and he's like lost everything. I'm just curious, how did you get fired? What did you do? The first time I got fired, I actually got fired from an unpaid internship right out of college they <laughs> call me back on a friday on a friday uh that's always a bad sign right i got the five o'clock on friday hey can you come meet me in my office oh. from the boss you know you know you've probably been there and then he's telling me how like i've been disruptive i don't know basically what what my last straw was i literally i fell asleep at my desk in the bullpen of a news website and i was an intern and i just just fell asleep. i just dozed off at my desk so i was tired i mean obviously and then he's like, we're going to have to let you go. And then I'm like, but you don't even pay me. It's like, yeah, we just, ultimately, like, we just don't even want you around. Like, you're just going to have to. God. <laughs> Ouch. He didn't, he didn't say it like that, but that was like, it was like, wow, this was really shocking to me. Because I'm like, I thought, I'm thinking this is a great start to my career. And I literally got fired from an unpaid internship. And so that was like the first time I got fired. And then the second time I got fired, I had been working at this company for a long time and I thought I would get a promotion. Uh, the guy who had had the job before me left, I kind of assumed the sale a bit. And I was like, I'm the best person qualified for this job. I really want this job. I think I deserve it. I should get it. And then, so I just kind of started doing his job when he left because no one was doing it because it was like an internet company, right? It's like things just kind of don't happen or do. And so I thought in my head it was done. Like I thought my, 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 the other boss above him had like told me basically in my mind, I was going to be that person. And then I wasn't that person. I just completely flipped out. And then like over the next week, I basically told him like, Hey, I'm going to go look for other jobs. Cause I feel like you're not valuing me. And then he said, well, if that's the case, then you just don't have to come back. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. So these both, it seems like, were cases of you tr not knowing that you were treading on thin ice and you just not continued to skate around and do triple axes, yes. basically. And that was like, for me, like, I come out of college right in the media and I think it's normal and how like these easy cush jobs we have. And I'm like so ungrateful for it. And I'm so ambitious. And I'm not like being thankful for it at all. And that's like, for me, it was like hitting bottom. And then I think, I guess what I was telling you about was like, then for like three or four years from when I was at The Ringer, I worked at a beer distributor. And literally my job was to drive around town, go to grocery stores, count the number of beers that were missing from the display, go to the back, bring those beers back to stock the shelf again. And like, I would do that for like 20, 30 hours a week. And I would write on the side. And that for me is like, 
those ended up being the most important years for me because it taught me so much about like work ethic. Like you think we work hard doing this BS? This is not working hard. Now I'm going to sound like a 90 year old man, but whatever. Like working hard <laughs> is like I was in the back of a grocery store with no air conditioning, grabbing beers from like a third floor with the forklift and like the forklift gets jammed. And one of you has to go up there and unjam the forklift. It's like crazy. Like probably wasn't even safe. You know what I mean? Right. And you're like, and then you got to put the forklift back and you got to, you got to like these old wooden beer cases and you're having to like jam them in the back of a store. That's hard work. What we do is not hard work. And so for me, I've always at the ringer, I've always remembered the years I had to where I was humbled and I had to learn about like, you know, what's really just, it was a very humbling experience, but it was ultimately so life-giving and enlightening experience. Yeah, it was funny when we had that conversation to find out that we had that in common. People that work with, I don't know if any of them would ever listen to this, but they'll attest to it. Uh, I was just an asshole, just very arrogant, <laughs> just very arrogant. I've apologized to people and I was just like, I just really thought I was always right. I thought every idea I was condescending and a mean teaser and stuff like that. And getting fired, man, honestly, was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've told people I was like the humility. I'm not, I'm not acting like I'm a humble person now, but eating shit the way I did was like, it just changed my life. I didn't take anything like that for granted ever again. To bring it back around, like your writing thing, I just like most young writers out of college aren't going to be full-time writers or media people. I mean, you're going to have to have a day job and it's like, it's a good to be, have a day job in some respects because you learn a lot about the world that way. So were you just the guy riding around in a beer truck, like just popping off like any anywhere you could get off your basketball takes? Like, is that is that kind of what was going on during that time? Yeah, so I was the pattern of basketball. So I've had like four or five blogs over the years. Here's a good story. Too. I'll tell you. So what it was, I, at the time, even though I had been fired again, I was still working at Real GM. I still had some freelance connections. So I was still working and I was still thinking, hoping to make it full time. And the nice thing about the beer job, I'm working like 25 hours a week. That's enough time to pay the rent. Yeah. And then like with my writing. So I still had a ton of time to write and watch basketball. And here's actually another example of the hand of God in my life. So I remember I was, um, and I'm praying to God and I'm like, okay, God, like, I don't know what's going to happen in my career. I don't know what's next for me. Like, what's the best way I'd like to be a full-time basketball writer. And if I do, I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to point people towards you while I'm doing this with the platform you've given me. How do I get from A to B? I don't know what to do, obviously. And I felt like God told me in so many words, like, you have a lot more time than you think you do because you spend so much time on social media and Twitter. And that was like, this is like 2014. And that's when I first started getting off Twitter. And he's just like, all that time you're spending on Twitter, you're thinking you're advancing your career, but you're not really. And like, take that time and start a blog. My first blog was like in 2009 and 2011. So I was doing that. That's why I first got on with Real GM. And I had blogged in years, like start a blog. That's actually going to make you stand out the way things are now. So all the time you are spending on social media, spend that time blogging and writing. And so I created Pattern of Basketball. And I did Pattern of Basketball and worked at this beer distributor place for like probably three or four years and not much came of it. And I'm a still, I'm a steady, being faithful, writing, blogging, doing it. Because I'm obviously, I love doing it anyways. And then out of the blue one day, I get an email from Chris Ryan. He says, hey, man, we're, uh, we're thinking about, you know, Bill's going to do a new startup. And he just, I'll never forget this. This email he says, I read your blog all the time. I think it's great. And I was wondering if you were interested in doing it. And it was kind of, it's more of this moment where it's like. Did you fall over? Oh, it was just like, <laughs> wow. Like, well, I look at the hand of God in my life. Like, this is not something I would have done 
without prayer and God being like, do it like this. When you talk about God, you talk about Chris Ryan, right? <laughs> God works in mysterious ways and moves through people he might you might not suspect. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, and I was like, wow, this actually happened. Like this prayer, these things I was, I felt like I should do actually came true. And it was like, wow, that's crazy. That's that's amazing that you got the email out of the blue. Um, I was curious was ba- was basketball your first like love? Like w- when did you when did you get into it? Did you grow up like Longhorn fan? I don't think we've ever really talked about that. I think actually the first sport I really loved was actually baseball when I was like five or six. I loved the numbers. I just thought it was so cool. Throw. I just found throwing baseball and hitting baseball so fun. But then I just started growing. I was really tall. Like I'm six four now. I was always a tall kid. And so then just naturally, I was just gravitating towards basketball because basketball, I mean, you're tall, right? Like, so I'd say I really fell in love with basketball around like fifth or sixth grade. I started taking it really seriously, playing all the time. And that was like my transition to like, okay, I think by like eighth or ninth grade, I was like, this is what I loved. I spent like four. So from like fifth grade to 12th grade, I probably played basketball. I'm, I'm not even kidding, like every day. Just like, that was what I wanted to do. And so that was like what I loved doing was just playing basketball. That's how it all started for me. And you said KD was like one of your, was your guy. People maybe don't know this. You were in college when KD was there. Yeah. I mean, Dirk was my original favorite player because I was 12 when Dirk came to Dallas. Oh, wow. And so I got to watch the whole career. And I always tell, I always say like so much of my writing career probably started because, you know, being a hardcore Mavs fan and then it being like they don't understand how good Dirk is like, they just don't get it i was like 17 on like real like inside hoops and all those message boards being like you fools don't understand how good Dirk is <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember him as a rookie so if you were 12 i was 12 in like 98 i guess so you were a little you were probably like 10 i guess when he when he came how immediately did you know Dirk was like special special so like the first years i remember it was like Dirk Finley and Nash so like it was more of like a triumvirate it was more of like this is a great they were so much fun to watch. I'm just learning about basketball. And then in Dallas, for me, when I like knew Dirk was like the man was actually it's my senior year of high school. That was 2006. That was the year the Mavs beat the Spurs. Do you remember this? I'm curious if you remember this as an outsider. Game seven, Dirk versus Tim Duncan. Down three on the road. Ten seconds left. Dirk drives the lane, gets an and one, ties the game. Manu fouls him. Yeah. So that was the 06. He ended up losing the Heat last year. Oh, yeah. But once Dirk beat the Spurs, I was like, I believe that Dirk is the man. He's the one. He's the best player we've ever had. Like, let's just go with it. I'm always going to believe in Dirk after that. And then there were the many years before 11. But yeah, so it was Dirk and then KD because I was at Texas when KD was there. And that was amazing, obviously. So too. you've had two revolutionary, like, stretch fours in your life. I think so. I, and I think that really helped me. It's so much a life. I feel like, you know, like for Bill, right? Bill growing up with the Celtics in the 80s with Larry Bird. And it, like, I always like so much of my experiences, anyone's experiences, what their perception of what happened to them affects how they see the world. And for me, it was such a privilege to see that. Like I was saying, like, Watching Dirk so much, it forced me, it really like brought into full perspective what the things people on TV were saying, I knew weren't necessarily right because I was seeing it firsthand. And so that always like, I think that was one of the things in the back of my mind was like, there's more to this. I have something to say. I have a perspective other people don't have because of the way I grew up. 
so that started pushing you to to doing the writing and to, so there was some, there was a little fire there like I'm right <laughs> I know something these people don't know that created John John Charks the blogger a little bit and then like also too I'm playing basketball all the time but by the time I was like in tenth grade it became obvious I was not going to play in the NBA so I joined the school paper I was like obviously I'm not going to be a basketball player so then it's like I did the whole writing thing and the basketball thing. I go to college, stop playing basketball like competitively, and I'm just writing. And I got into like news writing, political writing, all this kind of stuff. And then for me, it was that I was saying that job that got me fired, the internship. It was a political website. And it really, I really fell out of love. I was like, this is all the worst parts of sports writing without the parts of going to the game. Like this is just like their games are elections. It's just not, it's really cynical and depressing. And then I was like, I know basketball. I know writing. I can combine these two things. If I'm going to write and write about basketball, that's what I really know. And that's kind of what brought me full circle. Do you have a favorite thing you ever wrote for the site? For the ringer? Yeah. You know, the thing I wrote about my son for Mm -hmm. sure. You know, I think there was a lot of ways it was like, that was like full circle for me. It was um, talking about my son, talking about my experience with my dad growing up the lessons I've learned. And I think that's the stuff is like most important for me is like here, the kind of God I was saying, here are my experiences. Here are the lessons I've learned from them. And here's why I believe what I believe. Has Jackson showed any interest in basketball whatsoever yet? He's all in the cars right now. Tucks. <laughs> he was in the Kais. Now he's in the tucks. Dump a tuck. Dump a tuck. Yeah. Dump a tuck. He just rolling trucks around. We're going to go to a car show and see a drag race in a couple of weeks. I'm pretty excited for that. It's going to blow his mind. Yeah. I've joked with me- the same kind of thing. Me- <laughs> Julian has shown virtually zero interest in it. He'll say ball. Well, he's young. It's Let's true. not worry too much about that right now, Kyle. You're not raising Tiger Woods here. <laughs> you don't need him to be hitting golf balls at two. That's what you think. I'm about to go <laughs> Richard Williams on this little boy. We're going to get him into IMG Academy and daddy's going to have a star on his hands. No, I don't really care. I, I said it'd be the ultimate revenge on me if he, because my dad wanted me to be into like engineering and planes and stuff. And I was like, I, ball, dad, ball. And I feel like <laughs> the ultimate revenge is going to be if it flips the other way and he's into cars. And I'm just like, I, dad doesn't know anything about about cars. I wanted to ask you just really quickly about the NBA just in the next few years. Who do you think is going to be the best point guard in the NBA in the next five years? Well, I'm going to have to call my guy Luke, obviously. Yeah, 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 I yeah. Go. Luke is an interesting thing. Are you confident about the direction that the, that the Luca experience is going? Do you feel like we're, we've pivoted into into a better direction with him because for a while there people were down on him and I know you know the, I guess the improvement of personnel has made a huge difference but he's looked better what do you expect I, that's hard for me to say not that I was around the team much in the last year and a half anyways but when I was around the team we didn't talk much to the media so it's hard to know for me my perspective on Luca is ultimately he's gonna have to build a personal relationship with some other great NBA player mm. I think all the great players, you have to have the number two guy. You have to have someone. It obviously, it wasn't KP. Luca's going to have to figure out a way to make his game work with one other great player. I think it'll happen at some point in his career. I don't know what that progression is going to look like. I've always said like Luca should be like the godfather of European basketball. Like he should, you know <laughs> how like LeBron reached out to Anthony Davis. I was like Luca should have Victor Wembanyama's number. They should be talking all the time. Like give this man advice, build these kids up, because that might be his best chance. Honestly, is like the kid, the Euro, these European kids, they all gonna want to be like Luca, right? And he's like, let me break it down for you. Like here's how it works. Like lift someone up 
and then like that guy can maybe be your co-star eventually because the NBA like life is about relationships and Luca right now these are the I always like these are the Kobe years for Luca these are the these are the years between Shaq and uh, Gasol for Kobe those these years for Luca part of any great player's progression is I'm gonna push the limits as far as I can see what I can do I'm really excited to watch him push the limits this year but ultimately I think he's gonna end up reaching a spot where my greatness can only go so far now I must learn how to incorporate my greatness with someone else's greatness. That's the Luca experience. So how that's going to go, I mean, who knows? That's his journey. You're probably the person that I, I trust the most on Luca takes. He's like, I've watched him a lot. I feel like I know his game the best, but I feel like periodically I've checked in with you and you'll be like, no, it's this, this, and this. I'll be like, oh. But I mean... Um, I don't know, man. I've really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, I, I'm pulling for you to keep fighting this. I know it's you're in you're in a situation with this chemo. I mean, like I said earlier, like most of us can't fathom what you're what you're going through with this, and I'm pulling for you. And um, I know you you have one of the most to the point. It, it's not like you're like impervious to the reality of the situation, like when we talk, but it's like you, you have such a clear headedness about the way you think about things. And I have learned a lot about basketball. I remember coming to you with some kind of meta galaxy brain kind of thought on something. And you were like, this isn't complicated. It's basketball. <laughs> and I, I appreciate your, the way that you do that. But I guess you know, that's my way of just saying that like, I'm pulling for you and we all are. And, um, Oh, we keep getting to have these conversations, you know? Yeah, it's been, it's been a great, I mean, a couple things I want to say. I mean, number one, it's been like one of the funnest parts of working. I've been at The Ringer like six years and this pod has been one of the most enjoyable things. So I just wanted to encourage you and just, I really enjoy getting to know you, getting to hear your perspective on things. Um, so I want to say that first off. And then second off, I wanted to thank everyone. I wanted to thank everyone who listened and sent encouragement and supported us. That's been a real honor and a blessing. It's kind of like we've been saying, like we know how lucky we are to do what we do. And we know that what we do is based on people listening. And so I always appreciate the support. It means a lot to me. On top of that is like people who've reached out to me here the last year, encouragement support donations prayers and it's like i really do believe it's i think it's and i'll get the small those small acts of kindness i think are just so important and that's what's really important in life is like small acts of kindness those mean way more than you might know they're so much more important than like the big things we do in this life is like I'm reading a ton of Ecclesiastes, man. That all goes away. Like the big stuff, the big dreams, this company, the NBA. It's like it's all going away one day. But I do think the small things we do live forever. Because I'll... So I'm just going to... You're going to have to indulge me now because I'm going to just start dropping some scripture. I indulge you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start just dropping some scripture. And then Jesus said, hey, people say like... What you did, he said, remember that time that you gave me a cup of water or you uh, gave me a cloak when I was cold and you like were there for me. And that, so he says, he's talking to people after they've died. And they said, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember doing any of those things. And he said, no, like what you did for the least of us, you've done for me. And it's been crazy. I guess in my life, 
I've always like, I've had been pretty lucky before this experience. I've been pretty blessed. I've never really felt like the least of us before. It's very different when you feel like you're depending on the kindness of others to get through the day. And it's like the kindness of others is what gets you through the day. It's, it's just when you feel cared for and loved. And yeah, and so a couple things I wanted to say. So these are the Bible verses that always, that meant the most to me. I, I wanted to like talk about them a little bit. So the Bible, the Bible verse that meant the most to me in my life, it's called the first letter of John. It's not the gospel of John, it's the first letter of John. The first letter of John is a letter. So John was Jesus's best friend. He was, a, there's 12 disciples. John was the one he was most close to. John was the disciple that Jesus said, asked him to look after his mom after he was going to die. He said, please, I trust you. I want you to take care of my mom. I want you to look after her. This was his best friend of all the disciples. And it is funny too, because John in the gospel of John, like mentions it several times. It's so human. Like I was me. I was his best friend. Isn't there a verse even where he says something about like John ran the fastest to the tomb? He was always dropping that stuff in there. The right? one who, the one who we loved the most. Like it was like this is so great. Of course, I mean, how could you not? Right. So the first letter of John, he's writing this letter to the churches. So he's a lot older. Jesus has died. Christianity has risen, been persecuted. I don't think he's in exile yet. So John ends up writing the book of Revelations later. But the first letter of John, he writes it to the churches. And this is what he says. And he says, and this is, a, this is always stuck with me. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, at our hand, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So what he's saying there, he's saying, look, I knew Jesus. I saw him with my eyes. I shook this man's hand. I hugged this man. I knew him. I talked to him. This actually happened. I saw it happen. And it's just so crazy to me. I love that because I look at our world now and I say, like, you look at it this way. We don't know. We weren't there to say about Jesus, about what happened. If we assume, if like, like you assume that, okay, if there is a God, and if that God did come down to earth, that moment would have been the most important moment in human history. That person would have been the most famous person in human history. Guess what? Who was the most famous person in human history, right? The man who claimed to be God. What was the most important moment in human history? Well, what year do we live in right now? What does that even mean, 2022? We literally date history by this man's birth. So all that to say is like, it holds logically. And then it's like, well, what if we were walking through this world and we're just these people and here's this letter and you look at this letter and it says, no, this really happened. Like I was here. Whoa, this is crazy. I remember reading that this is crazy. Like 
this is like John saying, I know you're not going to believe me. Because what he's saying is like, I know you're not going to believe me. It doesn't seem plausible. It seems too weird and out there. But trust me, I was there. I did it. I saw it. I touched him. And now I'm sharing this letter with you because that's what I've been asked to do. And it's like, this letter has been around for like 2,000 years now. And I, I think it's written for everyone to be like, this really happened. And I think, so that's part one. And then part two of the letter is important is that this, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here's, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and has made, his love is made complete in us. So the point of that is like, this is how we see the love of God in the world. This is how God has chosen it to be, is when we love each other, when we make these small acts of kindness, when we are there for the least of us, this is how the love of God is seen in the world. This is the task that God has given his people. It's like, that to me is like, that is the gospel in so many words. It's like, this is it. It's just that simple. It's just loving one another. It's not winning elections. It's not making grand speeches. It's not any of that. It's not even doing these podcasts. Crazy as that might sound. It's just loving people. Well, I'll draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll wrap it up. Like, I'll wrap it up with this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am also writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. That's just like my heart for people. That's what I believe. And it's like, that's what I hold on to is like, there's a lot of darkness in my life right now and I don't know how it's going to end for me. And I hope, I really hope that I'm back and that we can just talk about basketball. But no matter what happens, like I know, I know the true light has already come to the world. The true light is already shining. And it's just like, Man, it might sound too good to be true. I didn't grow up in the church. It might be true. You have to admit that it might be true. And then you might find out and just hold on to that hope that maybe it is. Maybe the true light has come. And that's all I, that's all I really wanted to say. Well, I've always appreciated your sincerity and conviction that um, and you, you come to all this stuff from a place of uh, real compassion. I mean, in conversation you, you and I have had over the past couple, two or three years um, and longer, I guess. I've, I'm losing track of time now, but um, it's always been refreshing to me. And like I said, I've, I've enjoyed just getting to be your friend and, and getting to do this show with you. And, and I'm praying and hoping that we get to do more of them. And I don't know, what do you say in these situations? It's like we do, we're being positive and, and we're going to be pulling for you. I know everyone is. And like, like you said, you appreciate when people reach out and those those little acts of kindness mean a lot and, and they matter. And I just wanted to add that uh, Disciples 12-man team, they got that rotation down to like seven or eight by the playoffs, though. They didn't play a deep bench. Uh, that was for you. That was, that was revenge on you. <laughs> they had their core group. It was uh, Peter, John, and James. Those were like right. the foundational people. And everyone else fit The original them. big three started the, the, you know, three. The, the player, you know, the uh, the merry-go-round era, as, as Bill calls it. John, we'll be in touch, man. Uh, for we'll, sure. we'll circle back, and we want to hear from you. And, you know, basketball is a luxury. 
to get to talk about it at all. It's very fun. And, you know, getting to talk about it with you is, uh, as an extra luxury, I, I, I enjoy it and I want, I'm going to, we're going to do more of it. Absolutely. I just want to say again, like I've been, I've loved enjoying just spending time talking with you, man. It's been really awesome. It's been a great thrill and I've loved every minute of it. Me too, man. I, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Reach out to John and, and, uh, let, ask him how he's doing. Yeah. Email me, shoot me a book recommendation, but only one book. I probably won't read most of them, but only one. I might read the one you sent me. I don't know. Shoot me a book recommendation on email. It's on the Twitter page. And I'll be back to talk Mavs somewhere along the road. So I'll be around to talk Mavs for sure. You will. And the sharpest Mavs guy will we'll be waiting for it. All right, folks. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. It's been Upside High. And uh, John, it was good to see you. Good to hear from you, man. Yeah. And thanks again to everyone who listened, tweeted, liked, commented, supported. We really appreciate it. And it's like it's been our great joy to do this. We know how lucky we are. And we're just... We're thankful for the support we've gotten. We appreciate you guys a lot. Couldn't have said it better. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.